Good morning. It is good to be with you all. I'm very grateful to be here. I serve as one of your Southern Baptist missionaries that you support here and around the world, and I want to say on their behalf, thank you for your support, for your prayers, for your involvement in Southern Baptist mission work here and around the world. And as we turn our attention to God's Word, will you turn to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1. Soon they discovered something that is a reality that uh, many people are, of which are, are not aware, and that's the danger of the ocean because they got caught in a riptide. And a riptide is dangerous because it takes you, and despite all your best efforts, it will drag you away from the shore, out into the ocean, and many people have died because of riptides, and that was what was taking place to these children. They began to scream for help. The parents quickly rushed into the water, and they tried to rescue them as well, and soon they were in trouble themselves, and they screamed for help, and soon all the beachfront became aware of what was taking place. This family was in deep trouble, and you know what happened? Person after person from the shore joined hands to rescue this family. Seventy-seven people joining hands the amazing thing is eight of them in that human chain couldn't swim themselves but were willing to do so to rescue those who might be perishing. Folks, that's a visual picture of what a church is. It is folks joining hands for the purpose of rescuing the perishing. That's exactly what it means to be a part of a church. Paul is writing in Philippians. He is writing a thank you letter. It is a thank you letter to these believers that he'd met more than 10 years earlier. In fact, if you go home today and you want to read the story how the church at Philippi began, it began recorded in Acts chapter 16 where Paul had a plan of where he intended to go and God somehow through the Holy Spirit, we don't know how, prevented him from fulfilling that plan and in the process... God sent to him a vision to cross over the sea. The interesting thing being in our day, we know that he crossed from Asia into Europe to bring the gospel to a little town called Philippi. And when he landed there, he discovered that by the riverfront, there, were group, uh, there was a group of people who were gathering together to pray to God that God would reveal to them about the Messiah, Jesus. And Paul came with the message of Jesus and proclaimed the message to them, and they got saved. In fact, the Scripture says that Lydia and all her family came to faith in Jesus. And as they made their way throughout the community, there was a little girl who came upon them that was uh, demon-possessed. And because of that, she prophesied, and she was owned. She was a slave, owned by others, and because of her demon possession she made a lot of money for them because of her prophecies on their behalf and when Paul came upon her he cast out that demon and she was released and because of that the owners weren't too happy about that and Paul and his companions were thrown into jail but God wasn't done with them because God sent an earthquake and the jail doors burst open you can read all about this in Acts 16. The jail doors burst open. The jailer was there fearing, seeing the, the jail doors open, fearing that the prisoners had escaped. He took out a sword and was about to kill himself. 
Paul and his companions who were singing praise to God in the midst of their imprisonment said, No, we're still here. We're still here. And the jailer said, What is this Messiah of which you speak? And ultimately he comes to faith in Jesus and his whole family and eventually brings him to his own home, binds up their wounds. And the town leader said the next morning, Well, go, let's go ahead and release them. And Paul said, Well... It's funny that you would do that to a Roman citizen and they became scared. You'll, you remember the story. And Paul said, we're not leaving unless they come and release us themselves. And that's exactly what happened. I can't help but think that when Paul is writing this thank you letter to the Philippians, he's thinking, and in his audience is Lydia and that jailer and their families. And here we find that Paul writes, beginning in Philippians chapter 1, down in verse 3, Notice what Paul says. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. Paul is writing them in the book of Philippians a thank you letter for their support and for their partnership, he says in verse 6, in the gospel. What is a church? I'm here to tell you. And I'm here to proclaim that a church is a gospel partnership founded, rooted in, based in confidence in God and love for one another. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here in this letter. First of all, he says that a church is a gospel partnership. That's what he says in verse 5. He says, I, I thank God every time I pray, every time I think of you, I pray with joy. It brings joy to my heart because of your partnership in, in the gospel. Now, some of your translations say, Fellowship in the gospel, the New American Standard says participation in the gospel. In the language of the New Testament in which Paul was writing, it's a word koinonia. And many times we do translate that word fellowship in the sense of enjoying our time together. But that's not what Paul is saying here at all. The sense of the word that he's using here is, is not fellowship like pizza and Pepsi Fried chicken and casseroles down in the fellowship hall. That's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, later on in, in this letter of Philippians, he says to them, he, he's afraid he may never see them again. He's separated from them by distance. He himself is in prison. It's not that sense of the word in which Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the sense of connection, the sense of partnership. And it's a partnership in the gospel. That's what he's getting at in verse 5. That's what it means to have a church. It means that we're in partnership together over the gospel. That it is the gospel 
that binds us together. We might come from different experiences, different backgrounds, different preferences, different locations, different experiences through the years, but it is the gospel that unites us together. We're in gospel business together. Reminds me of the time when I was traveling from my home up to James Madison University where I met my wife many years ago in Harrisonburg. And I grew up in a little town near Lynchburg called Alta Vista. And I remember driving up Route 29 coming into Amherst County and I noticed a, an old building on the side of the road. It was actually a church and the sign sadly had on it stamped for sale. And someone had taken spray paint underneath for sale and said, spray painted, gone out of business. A few weeks later, I drove by that same sign, and underneath for sale, gone out of business, someone had spray painted in another color, forgotten what business they were in. Verse 5, Paul tells us that we're in gospel business together. It is a partnership in the gospel, and that's what binds us together. We're bound to, together, not by... Our love for our pastor and the staff. It is not the tradition that binds us together. It is not our history that binds us together. It is not our experience that binds us together. It is not our music or worship style preferences that bind us together. No, we're in business together. We're in partnership together. We are made for community. In fact, there's some sense in which this church is a partnership. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we volunteer. That's why we're involved in so many different things in church is because we're in partnership together. But church these days means different things to different people. But I'm here to proclaim that the church is much more than a collection of individuals. It is a partnership in the gospel. J.D. Greer, in one of his recent books, Gaining by Losing, he said this about people's attitude about church. He said, some people view church like a cruise liner, offering Christian luxuries for the whole family, activities, entertainment, amusement, etc. And if the church ceases to cater to my preferences, then there are plenty of other cruise ships in the harbor. That's some people's attitude toward church. Trevin Wax wrote this about people's attitude toward church. He said, some view church like a restaurant. My church just happens to be my favorite of many different experiences, like going out to eat. And our family has a favorite, but there are lots of other restaurants that we enjoy from time to time and from season to season. Sometimes we're in the mood for steak, other times for chicken or Mexican or seafood. Church is just like that. Our church is just the one we attend most often, but it's not the only one that we like. That's what some people's attitude toward church is. Someone said this about people's attitude in our modern day about church. There was a time when Christians viewed themselves as pilgrims traveling together in a foreign land on their way home. But now we are more prone to view ourselves as tourists who just happen to be on the same bus. You see the problem with those attitudes about church? It's all focused on self. It's all self-centered. You see, this church is not just a collection of individuals. It is a partnership in the gospel. It is not we first. It is not me first. It is we first. And sometimes I can almost see, as I travel from church to church, I can almost see people's me first attitude 
in their posture as they sit in church with their arms crossed, looking to be impressed. But yet, a church is not just a collection of individuals. It is a partnership. But also, I'm grateful to tell you that not only is your church a partnership in the gospel, in, as a congregation, your church is also in partnership. For example, what if I told you that there is a group of Christians who work together to share the gospel with millions all around the world every year? That every year this group leads nearly half a million people to Christ annually. What if I told you that this group starts more than 6,000 churches outside of the United States of America every year? That more than 1,000 churches are started inside the U.S. annually? What if I were to tell you that this group is the third largest relief organization in the world, serving more than 2 million meals and 100,000 workdays in rebuilding and recovery efforts? What if I told you that this group funds ministries all over the country to protect pre-born children? What if I told you that this group is leading a national effort to care for foster children and promote adoption? What if I told you that this group runs numerous facilities to care for those that are at the end of life and to provide for millions of widows of pastors who would be destitute without this group's help? You know what that group is? You know who that is? It's the Southern Baptist Convention of which you're a part. In fact, I brought a little video to illustrate what I'm talking about in our partnership in the gospel. If you'll go ahead and cue that up and play it, please. and the Lord of Lords. You are a part of the SBC of Virginia family, gathering in more than 700 churches, made up of hundreds of small groups, life groups, meeting in borrowed locations, historic sanctuaries, and new buildings. Lift up praises to our Creator. Indeed, we are not alone. We have one mission, one gospel, one Lord. Paul says the church is a partnership. And I'm grateful to tell you that you are in partnership with other churches that are a part of that gospel mission. You support more than 7,000 seminary students who are being trained to serve as missionaries and pastors. More than 4,000 folks who are serving internationally through our International Mission Board. More than 10,000 North American Mission Board chaplains and missionaries and students who are serving. Your giving is making a difference in this community and around the world. And I'm grateful to tell you that's a part of what it means to be a church. It means that we're in a gospel partnership. And that's really how the early church began, to be in partnership with one another. As the message of Jesus Christ was proclaimed and the Spirit moved, people were gathered together in groups that were called churches, and Peter and Paul and others traveled around throughout the known world at the time to encourage them and to proclaim 
the gospel. And the book of Acts tells a story of how not only did they unite together in congregations, but they also ministered to one another. Acts chapter 11 tells a story that when one particular group experienced a famine in their community, the other churches that heard of the need gathered up a collection and sent that to them. In Acts chapter 15, we're reminded that the early church realized that the gospel would, was go, to, would go to everyone regardless of race race or ethnic origin. In Acts chapter 16, we read the story of Paul and his companions who were on a journey, successive journeys, to advance the gospel. Some churches seem to develop a, a sense of self-sufficiency that keeps them from involvement with other churches, and I'm grateful that that's not true of you. I believe that churches and individuals who look only out for their own interests, interests and not for the interests of, of other sister churches are less than biblical. Paul says here that we're in a partnership in the gospel. But understand that it's not just a partnership for convenience sake. It's a partnership in the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel, not about following rules or traditions of the crowd. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is good news to be shared, not just good advice. Not just a status to be enjoyed. It is good news about the grace of Jesus. It is the good news about the fact that for it is by grace that we're saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It is a gift of God through Jesus. So that no one could boast. And it's not of our works that anyone could boast. Folks, a lot of our problems in churches would be solved automatically if we kept the gospel first. It is the gospel that reminds us that, that you and I are guilty sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And God demanded perfect righteousness. And we're guilty sinners who have fallen short of what He demanded of us. There's no good thing within us that would commend us to God. No good works to win His approval. And God demands perfect righteousness from sinners. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. What God demands, God provides through Jesus and that is the gospel message. And that is what binds us together. It is what 1 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we are bound together because of that gospel. And it means I'm grateful to God to tell you that you are not alone. That's what the gospel does. It binds us together. And Paul is answering this question, what is a church? He says it's a partnership in the gospel, but he goes on to say that it's a partnership in the gospel based on confidence in God. Notice what he says in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is full of gospel confidence. His confidence is, is rooted in the fact that God finishes what he starts. Aren't you grateful for that? You and I are the kind of people, human beings that is, that sometimes we don't finish what we start. Isn't that true? We can begin a project and we can lay it aside. Sometimes it's because we become lazy. Sometimes it's because we lack knowledge or we're irresponsible or we have a lack of time or strength. So we just don't know how to finish. But folks, I'm here to encourage you that the gospel message means 
that what God starts, He always finishes. What God begins, He always completes. That's the good news of the gospel. In fact, one preacher put it this way, God is so great that not only does God finish what He starts, but He is so great that the completion is embedded in the beginning. In other words, the proof that God finishes is the fact that He starts in the first place. Paul is here saying, God began a good work in you, and God will bring it to completion. And you might be wondering as you sit out there this morning and as you watch online, is God really going to finish what he started? Maybe there's something you've been praying about and the answer that you desire hasn't come yet. Perhaps there's a situation that you're wrestling with and you wonder what will be the conclusion of it all. I'm here to encourage you that according to John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The gospel message is this. What God begins in you, he will bring to completion. If God began a good work in you, he will bring it to fruition. And I believe that Paul is saying here, I'm sure of good things, not about you. But I'm sure of good things because of the Jesus that is in you. You see, Paul's confidence is not based on his knowledge of them or in their abilities. Paul's confidence is based on the God who loves us. You see, you were lost under the judgment of God, both in this life and in the next, but God intervened. And when God intervened, he started a process that we brought to completion. Paul is saying, my confidence is not toward you. My confidence is in you because of the God that is in you. And that kind of confidence is the antidote to worry. It is the antidote to anxiety. It is the antidote to those that we're, many things that we're suffering with. It is able to infuse in us hope. See, ultimately, Paul is saying a church is a partnership in the gospel based on this kind of confidence that God has begun a good work and he will bring it to completion because this church is not ours, it belongs to him. But not only is it the gospel partnership based on confidence in God, it's also based on love for one another. Notice what he says in verse 7 and following. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You're all partakers with me of of grace, both in imprisonment and in the proclaiming of the gospel, the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all. With what? With the affection, with the love of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that the love among yourselves may abound more and more. That's what he's saying in verse 9. And when that happens, when that love abounds, then you can determine what God's will is for your life. Paul is writing like a pastor, a shepherd to his sheep, loving them and saying to them, I love you and I'm grateful that you love me. Folks, we are made for community. That's what it means to be in a church. See, one of the harshest punishments that a person can ever suffer is to suffer solitary confinement. What it does to a person sending them into depression and health effects and psychological damage. 
But what happens in a church is love for Jesus means that we have love for one another. And God created this incredible institution, this incredible organization, this incredible body called a church where we can minister and love one another. God cares for you and he's expressed that in so many different ways. Jesus, I'm here to tell you, Jesus has affection for you. He loves you. And you can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. First Peter says that. I'm grateful for my, my friend H.B. Charles who shared the story with me of William and Sevilla Martin. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the Martins before. They lived in the early 1900s. William Stillman Martin was a, an evangelist who traveled up and down the East Coast preaching tent revivals. His wife, Sevilla, played the piano. They were a team, a tan, tandem. And uh, they once told the story how in the spring of 1905, they were sojourning in Elmira, New York. They were staying with uh, some friends, the Doolittles, Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. Mrs. Doolittle was bedridden due to a disease that had struck her. Mr. Doolittle himself was confined to a wheelchair and would travel back and forth to his business nearby by way of wheelchair. But they were incredible people, the Doolittles. They were filled with such joy and such peace. They were constantly laughing and enjoying their time. And finally, after several days with the Doolittles, Sevilla Martin got up her courage and she said, You know, I, I have to ask you, with all the difficulties and challenges that you have, with the health struggles and the pain that you suffer, how is it that you're filled with such Joy, what's the secret? And Mrs. Doolittle, her reply was very simple. She said, well, you know, I was reading in my Bible one day and how it says that God's eye is on the sparrow, so I just figure he must be watching me too. So William and Sevilla Martin sat down at the piano with a legal pad and they wrote these words. In fact, you've sung many of their words before. You just didn't realize it. They wrote these words. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know... He watches me. What is a church? It's a partnership in the gospel based on confidence in God, but also on love for one another. Mutual affection one for another. And it's interesting how Paul says here, <coughs> he says we are all partakers of grace. I talked about saving grace earlier, but... That's not what Paul, I think, is talking about here. I think what he's talking about here is he's not talking about saving grace. He's talking about suffering grace. The kind of grace that God gives you when you're going through difficult times. It's the 2 Corinthians 12 kind of grace. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the kind of grace I think Paul is talking about here. And by the way, that's the kind of grace that you miss if you're not a part of God's church. 
You see, how many times has God ministered His grace to you through the love of someone else who loves Jesus? How many times can you name when God has poured out His love for you and how He did it was through the hands, through the lips, through the encouragement, through the hugs, through the joy of other Christians. That is the beauty of God's church. The fact that God put us together because we can love one another. You see, the church should be the last place where you find fair-weather friends. A church means that you are not alone. You see, a The church cannot rightly promise you that if you follow Jesus and join us in following Him that you won't have to suffer. But the church can rightly promise that if you follow Jesus and join us in following Him, you won't have to suffer alone. A church means you are not alone. Next Saturday, you all are going to offer a class about discovering about North Roanoke. If you have not taken part in such a thing, I would encourage you to do it. If you are the kind of person that you have a faith in Jesus, but yet you've lived disconnected with others, I want to encourage you that God created something called a church so that you can experience the support and love that's necessary, especially when you need the kind of grace Paul is talking about in verse 7. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. And if you haven't experienced the kind of love that can come through the people of Christ, you are missing out on what God intended. You see, you and your church are not alone. Together, we're making a difference. Together, as we work together among our Southern Baptist family, this not alone is not just a a theme. It's not just catchy words. Think about what you are not alone means to a missionary in a faraway place. Think about what you are not alone means to a church planter as he's starting a church from scratch. Think about what you are not alone means to a pastor in a struggling church. Think about what you are not alone means to seminary students who are wondering how will they graduate with, without student debt. Think about what you are not alone means to churches of different, where different languages are spoken. Think about what you are not alone means to students who are wondering how to evangelize their friends in school. Think about what you are not alone means to men and women in ministries as they lead their their churches. Think about what not alone means. It's a pattern set by the early church and comes down to us today. A beautiful picture. What is a church? It is a partnership in the gospel based on confidence in God and love for one another. And I pray that you experience that kind of love. That kind of joy, it's the beauty of what God has created. I'm grateful that we're not alone. Will you pray with me? God, how grateful we are for the message of Jesus Christ. For the message that Jesus came to give us hope. To remind us of our great need of salvation, but also to remind us of the salvation provided through the blessed Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus indeed is worthy of our worship. And in the mind of Christ in eternity past, he had a vision for creating a 
an opportunity for believers to gather together, a, a thing called a church. And how grateful we are that we can be a part of a church that can make a difference in our lives and in the lives of others. Lord, we're reminded also of the great need of others to hear that message. We're reminded even of our own feeling of aloneness many times. Lord, may you draw us back to that message of Jesus and the reminder that we need one another and in a church we can find the kind of hope that we all need. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died that we might have life and for the joy that that brings in fellowship with others. And thank you for this wonderful church and the opportunities we have to serve you and to be a light in this valley. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.